0: Entrepreneurs Over 40, episode 60, with Chloe Holiday talking about her job as an author.
1: One thing that was kind of a family mantra of ours growing up that stood me in great stead all my life, maybe got me in trouble sometimes too, but our informal family motto was, how hard can it be? And I just love that because it's very, very powerful. The truth is, if someone else has been able to do this thing, Why not you? What's so very tricky? The secret handshake used to hold people back for a lot of things, whether that was learning how to do well in the stock market or any number of things. But nowadays, with all the information out there in the internet, YouTube, you know, and networking, a lot, a lot of things are within the reach of a person who just spends the time to do it. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills.
0: Our guest today is a retired military physician and is now a number one best-selling Amazon author who writes the things she loves to read. Steamy, fun stories about ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances and smart women and men who aren't jerks. She wants to bring readers all the feels, the thrill of a smoldering gaze or the barest brush of fingertips, the shocked gasp at the underhanded villain, the angst of heartbreak, the joy of reunion, and, of course, happily ever after. She loves humor, great banter, and embarrassing situations. She hates to read the same old thing with only the names and places changed, so her goal is to bring readers a fresh, fun, new story every time with no cliffhangers. More than anything, she wants to deliver a rollicking great story that readers can't put down, one where the good guys prevail in the end, one that will whisk people away from their own tri- tribulations. Introducing the one and only Chloe Holiday.
1: Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Glad you're here as well. It's great to have you on the show. Now, Chloe, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today?
1: Well, I'm relatively new at the author thing, and it was quite a change from my previous career, but it's been wonderful fun and a whole different set of skills than I used in medicine. It's been tremendous fun, and I'm enjoying connecting with people in a different way. So, right now, I've just released my latest novella, which is called Flyboy, about a crop duster in Texas. And I have just also signed a traditional contract with the wild rose press that makes me a hybrid author so i'm mostly self-published for the majority of my stories but now i have that traditional contract as well so ideally it'll be the best of both worlds
0: now do you come from an entrepreneurial background at all did anybody in your family have their own business or was anybody an author For that matter,
1: nobody was an author. And in fact, sort of a horrible thing that was a joke in my family for a long time was about a census worker who was interviewing somebody and they said, oh, I'm a writer. And the person said, I'll just put down unemployed. Because the implication was <laughs> that it was that you basically were just a slacker who'd never make anything of yourself if you were a writer. So, no one else in my family writes. I come from a family of doers, though, who can fix anything with bailing wire and duct tape. And I grew up dirt poor. And that was really good in a lot of ways because it helped with those times you have to tighten your belt, which you do if you're doing a startup of any sort. And it gave a good can do attitude and a fear of. It, it kept me from having a fear of doing things my own self. This this audio booth is something that we put together because why not? You know, it's not rocket science and the price was right. And the, otherwise, the barrier to audiobooks was just too high for me to do on my own. And so that has served me really well, that kind of redneck can-do background that I grew up with.
0: What part of the country did you grow up in?
1: In Arkansas, my family still lives there. We were in this dinky little town with a population of 52, and there were seven of us. So it was kind of like in Flyboy, a small little town with a lot of gossip where you really couldn't get away from your past.
0: What motivated you to change careers and start writing now?
1: Well... I really did love what I did. I was a blood and cancer physician for many years, both in and out of the military. And I was good at it. And, you know, there are people alive today because of what I did. That was tremendously rewarding. But it also was soul-sucking in a lot of ways. You can't do that job decently if you just phone it in. So you have to be 100% there for you, for your patients and their families. There just wasn't a lot of time left for me. And when I got to a certain age, my colleagues were starting to die, you know, healthy triathletes, healing over of heart attacks. The patients started to be a lot younger than me. And my kids were getting older too, where they were tribulation at times. And so it just seemed like Maybe it was time to make a change. And that was actually one of the scarier things I've ever done. You know, I mean, who does that to leave medicine where you're somebody and and you have a, a secure, maybe lucrative gig. But it just seemed like the thing to do.
0: Did you get a lot of pushback on that from your colleagues and friends or family?
1: Well, my family, they don't judge much. They're supportive of whatever I do. And most of what I've done has turned out. And they're really good people who don't try to tell all of us kids how to to raise our life or to live our lives but there was a lot of pushback from my colleagues and i imagine this probably is the case for anybody who does a major career change especially if they're successful and that pushback came in an, in several different flavors but but it happened again and again and one of them was gosh if you're not a doctor you know, what are you going to do with your time? You're not worth anything else. This is the one good thing you're, you can do. This is your God given gift. And so you're a dirtbag if you turn your back on that. And there are some wow. physicians who practice mm-hmm. until they're gone. you know. It's all they know. And they're so married to the idea of being doctor whoever that they can't stand the thought of just being some ordinary guy. But for me, it was really good to be some stealthy middle-aged woman in the grocery store. No one came up to me and asked me to look at a mole. And if a beeper went off in a restaurant, it was not mine anymore. So that was a really, really nice change. There were also a lot of docs who Could not fathom walking away from the financial security because you, I think it's really easy in any in any career to get used to a certain level of affluence to the point where you can't fathom not being able to have that new car or what have you. And the good thing is growing up a dirt poor redneck, I was not the kind who had two houses and took a bunch of trips to Europe and had a new car all the time. So that helped me know that I was going to be fine and that Time was way more important than money, and so it helped me stick to my convictions on that, which was really good because that last year when I announced it, it was near constant every time I ran into somebody.
0: I'm thinking that they probably weren't meaning to be cruel, but that you were kind of challenging their belief system almost.
1: I think that's exactly it. I think that is exactly it. You hit the nail on the head there because it's human nature to grouse about your situation, right? And I think it's very, very easy for people to complain about their long hours or call or how, you know, whatever it is that you don't like about your current gig and medicine is no different. But I think the fact that I dared to say, I'm done, I've achieved what I need to, it's time for me, that was very threatening to them. And and I think either they had to say, wow, why am I not doing this? If they couldn't face that for whatever reason, then their only recourse was to say, nah, 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 you're making a mistake. You'll regret it. Mark my words, you'll regret it. So I think that was probably the bulk of it and maybe some of them were truly worried too you know if they were the kind who had to have that new car and thought they were slumming without it it was probably unfathomable to them that i would go back to not making a lot of money and no guarantee of that potentially for years
0: kind of walk us through your first novel and how you start your writing process
1: well my first novel happened because I had insomnia. When we moved from the Midwest out here, we loved it so much when we were here stationed here years ago that we knew we wanted to come back to the Northwest. But when it happened, when it was time, then the way that housing prices were, I was separated from my husband for a while while he tried to sell the house in the Midwest. And I started here in a little cabin, and and started building this house that that I'm sitting in now. And you know, I missed him, and I had the kids here, and and so for various reasons, I I wasn't sleeping at all, and and because I'm a maniac, I couldn't just lie there and flop. And so I got up and 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 thought, well, you know, maybe I should write. I was reading about a hundred novels a year at that time because I loved to read, and it was a real luxury because I'd read medical journals and not a lot else for years and years and years. So it was wonderfully decadent to read these novels. And I thought, you know, I could do this. I can do this well. And then I got a misdelivered postcard and it was to a hydrodynamics conference out east. And at that time, there was a call for more STEM heroines in in fiction, and I think that's still an issue now. You read about you read about a lot of people who are you know accountants and social media mavens and and waitresses, but but not a lot about engineers and scientists and astronomers. And and so I thought you know I'll write a novel about a woman who's a hydrodynamic engineer. And so that was my first novel. That one I haven't published actually because it it was actually two novels shoved together because I didn't know what I was doing yet. And I love that story. And that story will still be published at some point, I hope in the next couple of years, but I've got a little work to do to, to make it perfect. And I'm not somebody who wants to, you know, every author has to find their own path. And there are people who can crank out a novel every, every two months. But for me, that isn't, you know, I would rather have really great reviews and people who love my work than have forty books and mostly four-star reviews. And four stars are good, but I'm more vain than that, and I'm I'm not wanting to give into the pressure of that kind of treadmill. I just got off a treadmill, and and so I don't want to get on another one just for the writing.
0: So you've got that novel, actually, those two novels in the bag. What was the first one that you released? Was that Helios? The
1: Helios was the first one I released. And I I have enjoyed some romance novels in the past, but an awful lot of them had problematic features. You know, they weren't realistic at all. Or, you know, the heroes were really horrible jerks, you know, who were into kidnapping and, and stuff. And, and and there are people who like that sort of story, but that's not me. I like my stuff to be realistic. And I. I wanted to appeal to the discerning reader who likes to learn something and ideally to both men and women. And actually I'm really happy that I have this cadre of Chloe Bros, who are, you know, straight men who read my stuff. And and so that's been a lot of fun. But anyway, well, because there's so many different kinds of romance, I was stymied as far as where to start. You know, at least with Vortex I had the the postcard to cue me. And and so with Helios, I I finally just Thought you know this is stupid. You're just making excuses. And so I took all the tropes and put them in a bowl and drew out those. And that's how I got the the basic plot for Helios, which was rich for an alpha guy, repressed young woman, beach read, and workplace romance. And after that, it was like, yeah, I can do this. This is this isn't hard at all. This is you know this is like a lot of fun.
0: So how long did that take you to to write that first one or that that one?
1: Well, you know you the power of insomnia is just a big thing. So I'm the kind that that once I start, I just am gonna finish. and so Helios probably took me two months to write it, but because I don't like to just throw something out and and it was scary. It was my first one. You know, it, it's a scary thing to put yourself out there for this. So my process is to write a story and then I put it up for my alpha readers and then they go through and they say, Ugh, you know, this is funny or I'm confused about this or the, this one seems like a real bitch here or, you know, whatever their comments are. And then I pick and choose from those, whether I'm going to alter my story or tweak it a little bit. And then, so then I do that and then put it up again for another read. And then I do my final formatting and so on. So, so it, it probably took about six months to to publish it from writing to actually doing it. But, but some of that was because it was all new to me, you know, doing the covers and, and researching how to do the independent publishing and, and so on. And in fact, I queried Helios traditionally for a little bit while I was writing my next novel. And I thought, you know, I'll just start the next one. And if I get a traditional contract with Helios, great. And if I don't, you know, then I'll go ahead and self-publish because I just was not the kind who wanted to wait by the phone for, you know, years. And, and to be traditionally published, you have to have a decent product, but some of it is simply alignment of the stars. You know, did you catch the right agent at the right day when they hadn't just signed a similar work or what have you? And it, 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 I'm a little bit of a control freak. It was better for me just to take control and and whatever successes I had are mine and whatever failures. I can own them myself and learn from them rather than kind of having somebody else try to tell me what to do. So it's worked out really well.
0: Okay. Now, you mentioned your, your ARC, uh, the Advanced Review Committee. I, I believe uh-huh. that's what it stands for. How Advanced did, Review I- Copy copy how did you get people to i guess how did you identify the people to send your novel to for that
1: there are different ways to do it and some people post on facebook there are a bunch of reader groups there other people twist arms of their family members or co-workers that kind of thing that but that is a little bit fraught with peril because some family members will say your novels, rats. It's terrible. You know, y- y- this is bad. But a lot of people will say, "Gosh, that's so nice. You you tried really hard." And they won't say anything bad because they don't want to hurt your feelings. So it's better to have strangers if you can. And it, it also makes you tougher because they are not going to like everything. And so I I belong to this online writing co- uh, community called Scribophile and i don't know how many uh, authors are on there but it's thousands and international and so what i do you have to critique other people's work in order to get your work critiqued and so i i have formed partnerships with people that way and and many of them comprise my arc team i also have gone on other platforms like there's something called story origin where you can post your novel for people who who can read the blurb and and look at the cover and then decide whether they would like to review that or not. And you do the same thing actually with audio copies.
0: Okay. Now what Let me take a step back here. How are you interacting with your readers and fans? How are you keeping, keeping in touch with them?
1: Well, right now I have I have a presence on Goodreads and mm-hmm. on BookBub. And Amazon has an author page that you can sign up for. And I have it set so that my blog comes out and it's spread to those platforms so people can see me there. And then I have a newsletter that comes out every two weeks. And my newsletter is on all kinds of weird things. Some of it Uh, Much of it has to do with my content or things I found researching for my stories. Part of what I really love is learning things. And so I had one on really rude Greek hand gestures because Helios is is mainly uh, set in Greece. And I had one on mythology and I've had them on camel sex and, you know, all kinds of things that are just weird enough maybe to interest people and i suppose probably there are people who unsubscribe because they think oh my gosh but you know i think i think a lot of people uh, enjoy a soundbite of something different whether that's be what happens to to divers when they get the bins or or you know things things like this so that's mainly what i have done i have considered getting a tiktok channel and i've considered starting a youtube channel two, and I'm busy, but I probably could take the time to do that. My main appeal to that would be there are a lot of things that you can't very easily put in just a newsletter. For example, Flyboy, which is about the crop duster, you know, I'm a pilot. And so that was nice that I I didn't have to do as much research on that part of things, but the crop dusting I've never done. And and so even such a simple, simple thing as golly gee, how do they choose the patterns to do the dusting of the different fields? Well, you know, there's three main patterns and now I know all about that. And maybe other people would think that was interesting, but that's the kind of thing that you can't really do unless you're, you know, able to draw something or wave your hands in the air. And so I might do it because some of my content or things that are in are, are interesting need maybe a little more explanation or or some visual aids. So we'll see if I do that. You, the problem is you can't do everything and you really have to kind of pick and choose what's worth your time. And I, I kind of have all these plates spinning really nicely now, and I don't want to go off in, in the wrong direction, and have it all collapse. So I need to kind of pace myself and, and keep in mind that it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the plates then, because um, I could see just the book promotion being almost a full-time job and you're talking about writing you're talking about doing audiobooks you're talking about doing promotion and i'm probably leaving a bunch of stuff out as well
1: yeah that's true and and the problem is that that the writing is only about a third of it and mm-hmm. that's kind of a shame because the writing is what's really fun and if all i had to do is write then i could do more books per year and, and and faster, but, oops, sorry about that, but, you know, we retired with enough funds to make it, we think, mm-hmm. but not with this huge, huge, huge nest egg. And so it's important to me not to just fritter it away on a whole lot of farming things out. And so that's why we did the audio booth. You know, this audio booth cost us, I think, less than 600 bucks. With everything we did. And to get an audio book made, it's about 250 to 450 per finished hour. And it usually takes six point two hours of dinking around per finished hour, actually. And so that's why most authors don't do audiobooks, is because it's just too prohibitive. So so my process now is to finish a book and then as i do my very final edit and my formatting then i come out here and i i narrate the audiobook and that's my final check because it's a different way of hearing your story. It slows me down. I'm a really fast reader. And sometimes in my brain, things don't sound difficult, but when you're saying them, it can be really a challenge sometimes. And so that's been a good part of my process and doesn't add add that much. But it is a lot if you're going to learn how to advertise, which I've not done much of, partly because I'm just afraid to spend too much money. And I have this hope that, that organic reach, you know, people, who hear about my books will like them and then they'll you know become fans but yeah it it can be a huge amount and and the skill sets for everything is different for for being an advertising person versus an audiobook person versus a writer or an editor I'm very lucky that redneck or not I grew up with good language skills so editing is not that hard for me and my online community does an awful lot of that developmental editing and and the the, you know, word usage, that kind of stuff. Formatting, I've learned to do myself relatively quickly. The covers are the hardest, and then the the promo, too. And the promo is really, I think, the worst thing for me right now because it's hard to make it fun. Actually, this is fun. You know, sitting here with you just chatting about things, this is fun. And part of me still wants to make life better for somebody else. So if someone can learn from my mistakes here great. And so that makes it fun as well. But certain other things just aren't fun. You know, how can I sell my stuff? That's just not, that's not me. In high school, when we had to sell advertising for the yearbook, that was horrible. And partly what I liked about medicine is I did not have to sell myself at all. People came to me and it didn't take very long before I got a good reputation. And so I was busy, busy, busy without having to Do any kind of sales. And it was probably a little naive to think the same thing would happen with with novels, simply because one, people aren't desperate to read, and they are desperate, you know, if they have cancer, my God, you know, there's nothing more scary. And also, novelists are a dime a dozen. And there's over a million new books on Amazon every year. And so that means that you can make the most wonderful book and flip it into the Amazon pond and it'll sink like a stone. If you don't have your act together, so that's getting the reviewers so that when your novel hits, it already has a bunch of decent reviews and trying to get some visibility through through networking with other
0: authors. What has surprised you the most about the writing business?
1: Oh, how little writing is involved. But that's been a bit disappointing to me that, that the actual writing is mainly... Only about a third of it, and the rest of the time is all the dinking around with, you know, covers and formatting and that sort of stuff. But it has to be done. And and so until I'm at a point where I can just throw money at it and have some minion who does it for me, then, you know, I've got to do it. And really, who cares about it more than me? Nobody and, and thank God I am retired. And so that means I have the time to do it. So until I get a minion, and I'm hoping that that might happen someday, but until I'm at that point, it just, it just has to be me. But it, it's the amount of time it takes for those sorts of things, particularly the advertising. I take, I've taken a couple courses. Um, mm-hmm on that and and done a, a few ads on Amazon, but I don't have the, the Midas touch for that for sure. I think I might as well have just ripped my money into pieces and thrown it in the ditch for all the <laughs> good it did, it did. But maybe it's just as well because, you know, organic reach, people who blunder into my book somehow and they love it and then they want to read all of them. That is probably somebody who's going to become a real fan over time as opposed to someone who gets pulled in by an ad and so that's that's my happy story that I'm that I'm sticking to for my dismal ad results.
0: OK, well, what are some of the ways other than ads that you're promoting your books?
1: Well, I'm starting to do a few podcasts like this, and, and certainly the audio book has done the audio booth rather has done double duty to make this possible. I don't know. Are you getting pretty good sound? I mean, can you hear things oh, out yeah. there? or No,
0: you may have better sound than I do, actually.
1: Well, you know, we worked really hard to get it because, you know, no one wants to be in the middle of something and then have an airplane drive over or or tree frogs. We have a lot of tree frogs out here. But, But networking with podcasters and then there's a whole lot of author swaps where you can say, I will put your new release in my newsletter if you will do the same for me later. And there are some people who don't like to do that because they think, well, we're all in competition, and I'm not going to give anyone else a chance. They, I want them to buy my book. I'm not going to. I'm not going to share. But the truth is, if there's a lot of bees, there's going to be a lot more flowers, you know. And and a reader can read way faster than any one of us can write, even the eight week story people. And so I don't worry about sharing with with other authors that way. And I've I've found that that is fun and and actually has some long-term benefits. In fact, two of my stories, the, the uh, A Boy and His Dog and Flyboy, are collaborations with other authors in which we each wrote our own story. It's entirely my story. But all of us had a shared world that we had to put our stories within, and then we all had to have Boy in the title as well, which is why they're they're titled the way they are. But that was great exposure, and that's why when A Boy and His Dog came out, it hit Amazon number one best selling author because of the amplifying power of all those different authors each promoting the series. And you know it's not unfair advantage because if the book was bad, it would have tanked no matter who promoted it. You know it's a, a really great way potentially for authors to get their books out there and be seen, to have a lot more
0: exposure. Now you mentioned newsletters. How are you doing that? Are you how are you a getting the people onto your newsletter and? B, how are you delivering that? Is that like through, you know, ConvertKit or MailerLite or something? I use
1: MailerLite. Actually, I have okay. SendFox, too. I I really love, see, now people are going to hate me, but I love the people who, who came up with SendFox. They are amazing entrepreneurs, and I have zero doubt that over time it is going to be a killer product. But right now it doesn't quite have the bells and whistles that Mailer Light does. And so I have Mailer Light for my main list and I just relentlessly call people who don't open the newsletter because you know how you can you can bloat your list up so much that you're paying a lot of month money a month to send newsletters to people who don't open it. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So I win on my list down and then I send it out on Mailer Lite and keep it thin. And that makes my open rate really high. My my open rate is about fifty percent, which is pretty darn good for, for an author, actually. So I have a what's called a lead magnet, which is the first story in my series, Helios series, Finders Keepers. You can get it in paperback, but and you can pay for it on Amazon, but you can also go to my website and you can download it for free. And that's a way for people to taste the soup. And they can judge for themselves if they're going to be Chloe Holiday people. And if they are, hooray. There's a link in the back of the book that says, golly, gee, if you like this, here's a sample chapter of Helios, go get it. And it's also a plea for reviews. And if people don't like it, that's great. Nobody is going to like everything. And that's part of what you have to learn if you're going to put yourself out there some people will hate your stuff. That's just life. You know, I don't like everything either. So you can't let that beat you down or, 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 you know, make you jump off a roof, but that's that's what I do. The lead magnet to bring people in, and then the the newsletters through MailerLite and the collaborations through Story Origin to to get to get them out there.
0: Okay, so is it almost 100 percent people going through the lead magnet to to your news your to your mailing list to your newsletter, or is it any any other sources? One of the problems about being
1: an author is it's hard sometimes to know what goes on behind the curtain and you can you can have tracking links so you can know aha this many people signed up because of this newsletter or that collaboration or what have you but sometimes you just don't know if your if your signups bump for whatever reason you don't know how much of that is word of mouth or because maybe somebody got one of your stories in a library and decided that they Google you and see what happened. It's a little hard to know, but I think it's. I think most of them are probably newsletter driven right now.
0: Okay, you mentioned the, the audio booth and doing your own audio books. Kind of walk us through the process of that just a little bit. You talked about using that almost as like a. A final check, I right. would imagine. Right. Well
1: it it is because that way that way if I find that I've got an incoherent tongue twister there, I can quickly change it in both the print book and the ebook and they can all go out perfect. As an independent author, it's not hard to change either book, but it's a lot of dinking around in time whoops to upload. And so it's nicer to have a cleaner Story that matches everything, and it's really important to have really good concurrence between the ebook and the audiobook because Amazon has this thing called WhisperSync, you know, that that aligns where people are in in an ebook and and audio, and so you want the the verbiage to match really really closely. But the other thing is it. It It's fresh in my mind. the The first one I did, I went back to my backlist and started with Finders Keepers and Helios, and I'm almost done with Helios. But going back that far, the story is maybe not quite as fresh in my mind, and it takes a little longer to do the audio. Whereas, you know, when I wrote A Boy and His Dog and I wrote Flyboy, bam, 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 you know, I could just do one after another after another. And it was really fast and really easy. So that is my process from here on. And the next novel is going to be an audiobook before I finish my backlist. Even though I have a fan who who loves Submerged Hopes and she, and she writes me and she says, you've got to do this one next. Is this one next? This is my favorite. So I'll get there. It, it, it's, it takes a while. I use a free program called Audacity. And this mic, which is a Blue Yeti with a pop filter, and you, I, I, narr- I download my story to my Kindle and then I narrate from that. And if I make mistakes, which I do, then I just immediately say the line again and go from there. And then I edit out the, you know, if my stomach growls or a tree frog is extra loud or, or something. But, but it does take a fair amount of time to do that. And even with a perfect take, it's it's at least two hours per finished audio, right? One to narrate it, and then the other to listen to it, even if it was perfect. And then since it's not perfect, then you have editing and chopping and dinking around with room tone and taking out the clicks and those sorts of things. So I have some of my chapters that are better than the the industry benchmark of that 6.2 per finish hour. And I have a few that are, uh, that were a lot longer. The the Greek stories need a Greek accent at times. And, and so, you know, that, that is a little bit harder, a little bit harder to do. And uh, so anyway, then you take out all the clicks and do stuff. And then you just upload chapter by chapter to either Amazon or well they call it ACX or findaway voices or both whichever you choose you can you can either be exclusive to one platform or the other or you can go wide and have your audiobooks in both
0: And that brings up going both wide and deep and right now haven't you been almost exclusively on Amazon
1: it's a funny mix right now but but yeah you're pretty much right. So so I have three different products per novel, right? I have an ebook, I have a print book and then I have the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And so right now all of my ebooks except for Finder's Keepers are in Kindle Unlimited because that gives you that gives you a little better money, and it gives you mainly certain promotional benefits. Like certain days you can promote the book for free, which may lead to a spike in downloads and, and then higher visibility in the rankings. But but if you're in Kindle Unlimited, you can't give your book away anyplace else. So to have my lead magnet, Finders Keepers, available on my website, it would be cheating to do that. So that one's not in K because that's the only way I can ethically and legally have it available for download. So right now all my ebooks, other than that one, are in KU, and my print books are wide, and my audiobooks are wide. There's a certain appeal to being wide. I don't like the idea of having all my eggs in one basket. And so I'm hoping this will be the best of both. I'm toying with going wide with all my stories at some but right now it's it's you know, I have this list of forty things I'd like to do and and it's it's you know maybe at number fourteen right now. And so it it has to take a back seat to the other things.
0: I meant to ask you this earlier. You had mentioned about your covers. Oh Um, uh did you do your own covers originally? I did. Or do you still do your own uh, okay.
1: some of each some of each yeah i I can these these back here are mostly proof books, so proof book has this you know, do not sell line across it, but it works just fine to to narrate from or or double check some but anyway here here was, for example, one of my covers for submerge hopes, and it it's about a Greek, a deaf Greek archaeologist who's excavating a sunken ship with a navy guy. And there's there's a, a very tense underwater scene because I'm a thriller writer at heart and, and I have a lot of suspense in my romance stories. And I still like that cover, but it confused some people. It doesn't look romancey, right? I mean there's no bare male chest of abs or smoochiness in that story on the cover and so it was confusing people some people thought that it looked like a drowning in debt you know we can help you kind of book and and so i i finally caved and got a new cover for that one let's see
0: and i thought i thought that was a good cover yeah i liked I it have...
1: too and and this one i mean this one the heroine mm-hmm. is a, a rock climber and I just love this. I mean, it says what the story is about, but it it didn't say romance to the, enough people. And, you know, part of why I didn't want it is I think my stories do have a lot more depth and I don't want it to just be, you know, girly stories. I have a lot of men who like my stuff and I thought they would be put off by the bare chested burly dude, you know, the the new iteration of Fabio, if you will. But but the the new covers are a little bit more romancy looking. But the good thing is, you know, it's easy enough to change a cover. You don't have to do a new copyright for that. And so so Finders Keepers is on its third cover. But but yeah, if someone went on Amazon and they click the ebook and the audiobook and then the paperback, um, or they go, go on Goodreads, they can see the the earlier covers that I did. You know, the price was right, but I think it probably hurt me. And so that was a good lesson in sometimes pinching pennies is a great plan, like doing your own audio booth. But other times, pinching pennies is bad, and it's going to hurt you in the end. And And I think, even though I think Cover design is fun. I think it's maybe not my best skill set, and that is something that more and more I'm having someone else do.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I would have thought that would have been a perfectly fine cover, but I guess you kind of have to go with what the genre demands.
1: Well, I think it's that old adage, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. People do. People want to see at one glance, what is this story about? And if there's a half-naked man or two couples smooching, they know immediately that this is a romantic sort of story. If there's the back of some man running away into the city, they know at a glance that it's a thriller. So, you know, that's why they all look the same is, is you know, so that people don't have to to spend too much time weeding them out.
0: Okay. Now, what's next for you?
1: Well, I'm a little bit of a masochist, I guess, and so instead of just writing to market, well,
0: that's an entirely different podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, the writing to market is where you look and you say, "Aha, this is selling." Dystopian stories with really young high school kids you know or vampire stories with really young high school kids you know the twilight kind of sort of things you know so if you just write that kind of story that's very simple it's kind of cut and dried but i i kind of have this thing where i want to where i tell myself ooh i wonder if i could do that and so that's why I have a deaf protagonist because I thought that would really be a challenge to write a story from the viewpoint of somebody who couldn't hear at all, and and quite a challenge with relationships too. You know, if you're speaking a foreign language and and actually maybe not speaking at all or not not hearing. So you know that's fun for me to do a challenge. So anyway, my my newest story that that I'm working on now is about a transplant surgeon. And it's it's my attempt to take a really old trope that's way overused and overdone and see if I can give a fresh spin on it. And and so we'll see. We'll see how that works. The my beta readers really think it's a great story, but that's what I'm working on now. I was over there before I came over to my little audio booth. That's my my current project.
0: Okay. Let's get ready to wrap this up. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to go over or talk about?
1: Ooh, no, I don't I don't think so. But I would say, you know, if you have readers who are on the cusp of, you know, the edge of the high dive, they're looking down thinking, oh my God, oh my god, it's so it's so scary. You know, should I do this or not? My my take would be to say, absolutely to go for it. You know, it's no mistake you make is fatal whether that's the wrong cover or or you know, not knowing what you're doing with ads and and I think it it helps to have talent, I'm sure in life, but you know what? What really counts is persistence and just the courage to do it. And that's what keeps people back, I think. And so I would just encourage, you know, your your listeners wherever they are in life to try something new and and maybe they'll find their new path that they really really love
0: is there a book that you currently recommend to move someone interested into becoming an author
1: boy there's there's a a ton of there's a ton of craft books out there and i read a bunch of them because you know you it's stupid not to at least inoculate yourself against the common mistakes so I, I don't have one that is my Bible in particular to recommend. Craig Martell, M A R T E L L has has a series for independent authors, which is really good. But there's there's a lot me out of
0: Alaska.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A Marine Guy, yeah. 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 He runs the twenty to fifty K group on Facebook, which is fantastic. But I don't think you can do better than just writing. You know, write something it's probably going to be terrible at first and then you put it out there for people to look at and then you get feedback what what works and what didn't work and and that's the fastest way to learn you know you you can only learn so much from a book and and writing is not only learning but it's it's toughening you up for the criticism you're going to get so that you're not crushed if someone doesn't like a book it is also teaching you some discipline that you've got to get it done instead of saying oh i'm waiting for inspiration you know that that just doesn't work if you're if you're hoping to make it and it teaches you to not give up and walk away you know all of us can write a crappy book but to take a book that's not Perfect and fix it into something wonderful can be done, and that's a skill you will have with you for the next book, and the next book, and the next book. So, I am a big, big fan of this online community scribble file. I I get no no brownie points for mentioning that I or affiliate links or any of that, but but that I think is the biggest tool in my toolkit. Is, is that ability okay. to get out there, do the writing, and get some critiques and build those relationships.
0: Okay. It, can you spell that out for us?
1: file, yeah. It is S-C-R-I-B-O-P-H-I-L-E. I think it's .com. I have a premium service that gets you a little more stuff, but but they have a free version, too. And a free version is perfect for people just to stick their toe in and kind of sniff around and see, you know, what's out there and what's, what's for them. But it's really nice mentally and emotionally. It's good as well, because some of us come from families where authors are no better than being unemployed right and and so it's really really powerful to meet people who also have the bug who who think it's worthwhile who have that passion and that can be really uplifting when you're when you're thinking what the heck am I doing you know is this even crazy you're with the other inmates and they all are all in so I, I really think it's a fantastic site
0: okay I'll try and have that up in the show notes as well now. What's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners,
1: as far as writing or just life could be advice? Writing or it
0: could be could be writing, or it could be life advice. I will let you choose. Well,
1: I guess one thing that one thing that was kind of a family mantra of ours growing up that stood me in great stead all my life. Maybe got me in trouble sometimes too. But our informal family motto was, "How hard can it be?" And I just love that because it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. The truth is, if someone else had, has been able to do this thing, why not you? What's so very tricky? The the secret handshake used to hold people back for a lot, a lot of things, whether that was learning how to do well in the stock market or any number of things. But nowadays, with all the information out there in the internet, YouTube, you know, and, and networking, a lot, a lot of things are within the reach of a person who just spends the time to do it. So that would be, I think, my advice. How hard can it be? You know, you, you have okay. nothing to lose if you don't take a shot.
0: Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Chloe, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40.
1: Well, thank you very much. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.
0: Check out the newly redesigned Entrepreneurs Over 40 website at www.entrepreneursover40.com. While you're there, sign up to get updates from us. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any other episodes.
1: Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.